Nice to be with you again. We thank you for your warm hospitality. We thank you for your prayers for us. Uh, maybe one other thing to add to your prayer requests is uh, the Mexican government changed their rules for visas for anybody. Uh, and uh, I'm in Mexico on a religious visa. I'm allowed to minister legally. Uh, sometimes people go in and just get a tourist visa and they try to minister and then when somebody tells on them, usually other Christians for some reason, jealousy, uh, they get kicked out of the country. But they can't do that to me because I have a religious visa. Well, our lawyer's been trying since January to figure out the new rules. And between the people in the office in Mexicali, the people in the office in Tijuana, and the people in the office in Mexico City, none of them know what to do. They can figure out how to do a work visa. They can figure out how to do a tourist visa. But because there's so few immigration visas to do religious work legally in Mexico, they're not exactly sure what to do. So our lawyer is going November 15th, I believe, to Mexico City to try to do these things and get it all done. And if you lift him up, his name is Jesus. Corona, and uh, if you prayed for him that he would have grace before the authorities, uh, that would be much appreciated. Let's open our Bibles to Judges chapter 8 this evening. Judges chapter 8. Now the book of Judges is, is a book about, the someone put, the canonization of God's people. How God's people became like the world around them, like the people of Canaan. And it starts in chapter 1. When they won the victory and they cut off the big toes and the thumbs of of the king, where did they get that idea from? It wasn't from God. And we hear the king saying, you know, I cut off the big toes and the thumbs of, of ten other kings before me, and now I'm reaping what I sowed. And they got that idea, even in chapter 1, from the Canaanites. And all through the book of Judges, you see the people of God, and even worse, the leaders of God's people, getting worse and worse. And it's a reflection, the first half of the book is a reflection of the second half of a book, except the second half of the book is worse. So, for example, the first judge, the first major judge, Othniel, the secret to his success was his wife. The last judge, Samson, the secret to his downfall, I'm not sure we could say wife, but his girlfriend. And I think last time we mentioned young people, be very careful who you choose as a spouse. I think I mentioned when I was a single man, there were 30 young men that I hung around with, and we all served the Lord. And slowly, we even had a club called the Lobster Club. The Loyal Order of Bachelors Single to Eternal Rapture. Lobster. And 29 of us, 30, got married. And the one fellow's living with the woman for the last 15 years. So that's about the same thing. But out of those 30 men that served the Lord in those days, only two serve the Lord today. What's the difference? Their wife. Young people, be very careful. It's going to make or break you. Older people, step in if you need to step in. 
If you see something that's not a marriage made in heaven, the Lord's given you wisdom. Not just because somebody doesn't, you know, some people just don't, we say, caer bien in Spanish. I'm not exactly sure. I don't remember how to say it in English. Uh, just because someone doesn't, you know, sometimes people just, what do we say, fall the wrong way? We don't say that in English. They strike you as odd. Is that what we say in English? Something like that. And there's something just, just not right. Well, that's, you know, they dress funny. Well, some people dress funny. Uh, it's just the way it is. But if there's something biblical, we need to step in. The second major judge was Ehud. And, and he was a left-handed judge. And I think it was Caleb or was it Caleb that likes Ehud because he's left-handed. And, and he fought against Eglon, a very fat man. And Eglon was the enemy of the people of God. When we go to the other side, the sixth major judge, we have Jephthah. And he didn't understand who the true enemy was. And he went against God's own people. The third major judge, Barak and Deborah and Jael. The victory was won by Jael putting the stake and crushing the head of Sisera. Do you remember? The fifth major judge was... Abimelech, a woman dropped a stone and crushed his head. You see how it parallels? And, and Gideon is the middle judge. He's sort of the hinge. And Gideon started well. We were reading about that this morning. He was a man of valor, a mighty man of valor. That's what God called him. And at the end of what we're reading this morning, he toppled the idols, the grove, the place where they worshipped, tore down the altar, and set up a new altar and called it Jehovah Shalom. God, Jehovah of peace and abundance. It means more than, than just peace, the word Shalom. It means peace and abundance. And it's something that came from the experience that he had with God. There he was working during a famine and he had a goat to offer. He had cakes to offer. Where did he get that in a famine? And he knew the God of peace and abundance even in the famine. And we were thinking this morning that we need to be like Gideon in that aspect and be able to offer to God his son and lift him up. Make him high and honored above all things. And, and the Father would, in a sense, feed off of that. And it would satisfy the Father as he breathed in deeply that sweet savor that the, was being offered up to him. And we were thinking, we need to return to be able to offer up to God those sweet savor sacrifices that he takes in for him only. You know, for 10 years, I went to an assembly, and, and if you didn't read Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Hebrews chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, nothing, or Matthew 26, 26, you know what? There was never, ever any other portion of the New Testament read at the Lord's Supper. Never. And I thought to myself, don't these people know who Christ is? Are they like those people that the writer to the Hebrews was writing to? And you should be teachers by now. But you need milk. You should be eating solid food, steak and potatoes. And, and you're just getting pablum because you don't know the Lord really well. And beloved, we need to get back. Because I know Jesus is a wonderful Savior. 
But he's so much more. The fairest of 10,000 to our souls. Your soul is satisfied with just a Savior? When there's so much more? When you go out to the hometown buffet or whatever buffet you might choose to go to, or next Sunday when you have, I came the wrong Sunday apparently, there's a buffet next Sunday and I'm going to miss it. And do you just take these little things? I remember we sponsored a couple to go to a weekend to remember a seminar. It's, it's for marriages and, and this couple is very poor. And we took them to the breakfast buffet. We sponsored them for the... And, and the wife goes and, and she's like a million years old. And she goes and she comes back from the buffet with a few grapes, a slice of orange, and a small bowl of porridge. And I look, and she's a hefty woman. And, and I th- said to her, you know what? If you eat that, or you eat 20 eggs and all the ham and bacon that's there, I'm going to pay the same price for you. There's all that to choose from. Why be satisfied with a couple of grapes and a slice of orange and, and oatmeal? Now, there's nothing wrong with grapes. There's nothing wrong with orange. There's nothing wrong with oatmeal. They're all very healthy for you, aren't they? And probably the bacon and the ham and the eggs are not so healthy for us, but they really satisfy the tongue, don't they? <laughs> and why would you be satisfied when there's so much more to Christ than just being the Savior? Why would you be satisfied when there's so much more to be discovered? To learn about Him and His ways with man and His ways with us, knowing Him intimately. It's a very sad meeting. Oh, sorry. Psalm 103. And whenever that one brother went up and I'd saw him, we'd see him going to the front, I'd lean over to the person next to me. Sometimes it was a young person. I'd say, turn your Bible to Psalm 103 because that's the only thing he ever opens. And he always did it. It was like Psalm 69 never existed. Psalm 150 never existed. It's like Abraham and his offering of Isaac never existed. We read from Isaiah 53 this morning. We read from John chapter 3. We read from Hebrews chapter 2. There's so much to the Lord Jesus. The whole book from cover to cover is about the Lord Jesus. I remember a brother saying, we're going to study the book of Revelation. And the first thing we're going to note, it says what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. So at the end of the book, it's not so important to know who's who and what's what and when's when. Because if you don't know more about the Lord Jesus Christ when you're done the book of Revelation, you miss the point of John. Imagine the one who's worthy because he created all things. But he wasn't just creator like in chapter 4. He thought he'd see the lion of the tribe of Judah, didn't John? And he looked and there was a lamb that was slain. And the end of chapter 5 also ends with a crescendo of worship to him for being the lamb that was slain. For being creator... And for being Savior. Revealing Jesus Christ as the one who was, the one who is, and the one who will come back. From chapter 1 all the way to the end. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And we're going to learn why He's coming back. A book full of worship. Why? Because it's revealing Jesus Christ. You know, those were special meetings we went to that one time on the, the book of Revelation. It was a men's Bible study for a week. 
I think we did about 30 classes in five days. And at the end of every night, after the last message, and sometimes in the earlier message, after the brother was done speaking, there was a time of just a little bit of quiet and someone would start a hymn. Someone would start a song. Someone would start to praise. And it'd go on for half an hour. Why? Because we're seeing the Lord Jesus. Beloved, sometimes we get that cart before the horse and, and we think, well, we, well, I'll say it the way some, a young person said it once. You know, He said, you know, young people, it doesn't matter that we didn't read our Bibles all week. It doesn't matter that we didn't pray all week. We're going to have an encounter with Jesus right now while we sing. And he started jumping up and down with his guitar. And he would make somebody like Eddie Van Halen look slow and old. I wasn't a Christian in the 80s, and I know how Eddie Van Halen was. Twisted sister. My hair doesn't move like it used to move, but it used to move quite a bit. <laughs> it doesn't do that anymore. And that's what this person said. Imagine worshiping the Lord and thinking you can have an encounter with the Lord in the singing and jumping up and down and all the antics and the lights flashing without ever presenting and having the Lord Jesus revealed. Doesn't that just sound backwards to you? And beloved, it's something that, that we used to be known for. Because we knew who the Lord was. And now there's sometimes people come on Sundays and they come and and you know, oh, here's my faithful Bible. It didn't move all week. And it's there on the shelf where we left it because we didn't read it all week. Or it's, we forgot it at the chapel. And there, oh, you know, this is a good Bible. It's still here and it's keeping my spot in the bench. And we think we can gather together corporately. No wonder we say, I didn't get anything out of that. Because, beloved, we enjoy the Lord through the week. And on that first day of the week, we come together corporately. And we enjoy the Lord together, don't we? Let's read in verse 22. Starts and it says, Judges 8, 22, then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's son. For thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord, he shall rule over you. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that ye would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. That is, the people that they conquered were Ishmaelites. And they answered, and we will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand seven hundred shekels of gold, besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian and beside their chains that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither, whoring after it which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness forty years in the days of Gideon. And Jerubbabel, 
That's another name for Gideon. The son of Joash went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulchre of Joash, his father, in Ophrah of the Abysrites. And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went whoring after Baalim and made Baal Berith their god. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. And so here we have, we're thinking that he destroyed the altars to Baal. He, what we're reading this morning, it was a good thing. He had destroyed those altars, and then here it says, we want to make you king. Well, actually it says, we want you to rule over us. They avoided the king word until 1 Samuel, but here we see it. We want you and your son and your son's son to rule over us. We want to start a dynasty. And we want it to begin with you because you delivered us out of the hand of the Midianites. We were starving for seven years and you did it. And Gideon says, no, I'm not going to rule over you. God, he will rule over you. And it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But we read in the next verse that you know, I have a petition to ask of you. All your golden earrings. I want them. Now who else could get away with saying something like that except for somebody who felt they were a king? You know, ladies, I like your diamond rings. Would you put them on this table? You guys wouldn't do that. Why? Because I'm not a king. <laughs> Who else would even have the audacity to ask for something like that? Unless they felt that authority, unless they felt that pride and that power and that prestige that they were sort of giving him. We want you and your sons and your sons' sons to rule over us. And he said, no, 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 God's going to rule over you. But I got this one request. Bring all your earrings here. And they did it, and they obeyed him, and they gave the earrings. And this is where the hinge swings backwards. And he made an ephod. An ephod's like a tunic, a jacket, or a, a vest, I guess would be a better way to say it. And tunics don't really stand alone by themselves. If you have a vest or a jacket and you try to stand it up, even one made out of gold. We probably don't have one made out of gold. But it wouldn't stand very well. It'd have to be sort of dressed on a mannequin. Or maybe an idol. And it was set up there. And it says it became a snare to Gideon. What was the first thing Gideon did? He tore down the idols, remember? And now he's setting up an idol. And we see the hinge of all the downfall and the worldliness of Canaan entering in, even into the life of the judge. So what he was saying at the beginning was something completely different than at the end. And we see that he started well, but he's starting to look like he's fallen. You ever see or witness something like that or hear about something like that amongst God's people? Who are you to say something against the Lord's anointed? 
You ever heard that expression? Well, I'm really nobody just like you. <laughs> I'm really just a sinner saved by grace just like you. But you know, you, you taught this wrong. You said that wrong. You shouldn't behave like that. You can't be doing things like that. It tarnishes the testimony of the Lord. And there's some people that set themselves up to be like kings, even though they say, you know, God's God and I'm just his servant. But really they, they lift themselves up. You know, there's some preachers and they live in mansions. They have bodyguards, chauffeurs, maids, servants. You know, they don't wash their own laundry. They don't cook their own meals anymore. Sounds more like a president than a servant. And it becomes a snare unto them. And they make themselves up to be like an idol. And people follow these people. And they follow them and, and there's just something wrong about it. I heard of a preacher who went to be from one city to another city and he started a, a new church. And the first day of the new church, 2,000 people showed up. Now this brother is a good teacher. Probably you have some of his books in your library. I have some of his books in my library. But where do those 2,000 people come from if you're not doing door-to-door -door work? If you're not handing out tracts? Where did they come from? Well, little chapel here, little church there. First Presbyterian Baptist church over there and the Episcopal church over there. And why did they come? Because they're following a preacher. Oh, he's a good preacher. He's a good Bible teacher. But sometimes, beloved, it becomes a snare. Where do you fellowship at? Oh, I go to so-and-so's church. Paul had something to say about that, didn't he? Glad I didn't die for you. <laughs> some of you are of Apollos, some of you are Paul, some of you are Peter. And, and whose name were you baptized in? Oh, the church belongs to this other fellow now. And beloved, sometimes we make idols out of men and women, even in the Christian community. And it becomes a snare. I mentioned this morning in the 80s, there was, if you had the name Jimmy, you sure didn't want to be a preacher in the 80s because they were falling like flies. And how many had their faith dashed against a rock because they were following a man or a woman that didn't know about waterproof mascara? because of them. And they left. And they never returned again to God. Because they weren't following the Lord. They're following a servant of the Lord. And it becomes a snare. And so, beloved, we need to be careful. We do it in our assemblies. Oh, if so-and-so's preaching, everybody's there for the meeting. But if Scotty, I'm, I'm not saying anything bad against Scotty, but there's Scotty preaching. Oh, it's just Scotty. I've known him since he was crawling and in diapers. He's not going to say anything to me. That, that's wrong, beloved because it's not Scotty that's ever going to say anything that changes your heart. 
It's the Lord working through Scotty. Oh, Bill McDonald, he's a great man. But if Bill's, there's the prince, there's the chief. If he's preaching, every bench is full and got to open the side room. You see how beloved? And Bill McDonald was the dearest, most graceful man I think I ever met. Well, maybe not. I met some other graceful men too. But he's, there's none higher than him, although he might have his equals. But do you see how it becomes a snare even for us? And we need to be careful. When we book conferences, who do we get to preach? Why? Oh, because they're so-and-so. And Yes, the Lord uses so-and-so. But the Lord also uses faithful women like Mary. We were thinking about Deborah. She wasn't in Shiloh. She wasn't in Jerusalem. There was Deborah sitting under a tree and the people of God came to her with their petitions as she faithfully served. What a wonderful blessing Deborah was to the people of God. Barak, he had the big name. <laughs> he didn't do a whole lot, did he? And so we need to remember that, beloved. So it doesn't become a snare and an idol. That's what he did first. He tore down the idols and then we see it hinging back and he made an idol. And it became a snare to him. The second thing, they wanted him to be king and he says, I don't want to be king. And then he's making these petitions just like he's a king. And then he has this concubine a mistress, and they have a baby, and they name him Abimelech. Do you know what Abimelech means? What does Abba mean? Father. Abi means my father. Melech means king. My father is king was the name he gave to his son. There he was, all high and mighty, on his high horse. God's going to rule over you. And he names his son, my God is king. In the book of, of Ruth, you're going to find a man named Elimelech. Eli, my God. Remember that? Eli, Eli, lama sabatani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eli means my God. Melech, king. My God is king. And they left Israel, he and, and Naomi. But here he names his son Abimelech. My father is king. When you start reading about Abimelech, it's just a disaster. One disaster after another. You read about Jephthah, and he's a disaster. And you read about Samson, and he's a disaster. It all hinged on Gideon. He was the turning point in the book. And we see him, and there he is, and he's, he makes himself out to be this king even though he was denying it with his mouth, what he was saying with his actions spoke much louder than his words ever did. And we see him going down. And we see that, that when he, he was there, the land seemed to have peace and th see, things seemed to be going well. But beloved, it was a very superficial wellness. It was, it was there, but it was unstable. Sometimes in Canada, we, we would never skate on the ice until it was six inches thick. And we'd bore a hole to make sure that the lake was frozen over. Because it could appear well. People could drive their motor, uh, not motorcycles, skidoos over them, snowmobiles, and they'd go. But you know you can drive a snowmobile across water. 
They have races in the summertime where I grew up, and they could go 50, 60 miles up the river. They would race across the lake. And so you think, well, a snowmobile weighs more than a little boy. <laughs> if it holds the weight of a snowmobile, surely it'll hold the weight of a little boy. I had a few schoolmates that drowned in elementary school because the ice wasn't six inches thick. And they'd go down and they weren't seen until the spring and the thaw and everything was melted. And it, it looked fine on the surface, but underneath it wasn't strong. And beloved, sometimes in the assembly of God, things appear fine on the surface. but underneath it's not strong enough. And that's what's going on with Gideon. While he was alive, things seemed to be going well, and he sort of held things together, it seems. <coughs> but the moment he died, it says the people of God went whoring. Spiritual prostitution. Spiritual fornication, spiritual adultery. It wasn't bad enough that they already had this ephod that was causing problems. And they went after Balim. And a city called Baal Berit. Baal is just sort of a generic word for Lord. So we, you know... Uh, in, in the version of the Bible I read, if, if it's small l, small o, small r, small d, it's the word Adonai in Hebrew. If it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's the word Jehovah or Yahweh. And, and Adonai is just the simple word for Lord. Well, in Baal... Baal is just another word that means Lord. Berit means covenant. So they made another God who wasn't the true God, the one who we're reading about this morning, who delivered the Israelites out of the hand of Pharaoh, who delivered them for 40 years, who brought them into the promised land, who made this promise to them of an inheritance flowing with milk and honey. They rejected him. And they turned to another God. Not sure what covenant he made. But it sure wouldn't be like the covenant of Jehovah, would it? It says that the that they didn't remember, verse 34 says, they remembered not the Lord their God who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. They remember not. And when it says remember not, it's not just talking about having a case of amnesia. It's talking about a way of living. It's talking about a way of thinking. It's talking about a way of being. And they remembered not the Lord who had delivered them. And because their way of thinking was different, their way of living was different, and their way of being was different, it wasn't what God had called them to do. It wasn't what God had called them to be. It wasn't what God had called them to think. Philippians tells us, but there's some things that we should think on in chapter 4 and verse 8, doesn't it? There's some lovely things in the world. Some honest things in the world. Think on these things, says Paul. There's some things that we should be doing. There's some things that we should be being. Yesterday I saw a New Age t-shirt stand at, at the fair and it said, be strong. Be, 
what did it say? I can't remember. Be influential. Be positive. And they had all these New Age sayings with Buddha on the back. And I was, it made me remember of Warren Worsby's commentary books, Be Holy. And I was thinking, maybe we should get some t-shirts that say, Be Holy, and put a verse on the back. And be strong and courageous, for the Lord thy God is with thee. And put that verse on the back. And be provoking and provoke one another unto love and good works. And, and I was having all these thoughts while I was looking at this pagan t-shirt place. And, but how are we? How is our being? How is our thinking? How is our living? Are we strong as we live? Or are we falling down and tripping over ourselves? It's something we need to be aware of. But sometimes we don't remember the one who delivered us out of the hands of all of our enemies. Even our biggest enemy. Oh death, where is thy sting? Where is your victory? Oh death has been swallowed up. Says Paul as he writes to the Corinthians in chapter 15. And he talks about how God used the foolish things. How could death be conquered in death? That's what we're reading this morning in Hebrews chapter 2, isn't it? That's what Davy was reading this morning in chapter 3. As a serpent was lifted up, they had to face what was causing their death. What was causing their death? The serpents. And he who knew no sin was made sin so we could be made the righteousness of God in him. And we had to face, until we face that sin, until we face the cause of our death, because the wages of sin is death, we're never going to really live and have life and life in abundance as Christ has promised us. And it affects, our remembering affects the way we think. Our remembering affects the way we are. Our remembering affects the way we live. And they remembered not. We love that song, don't we? Lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget Gethsemane. And beloved, it's something that we can never forget. And you know, the weekly gathering, it's a good thing. Because at least once a week we remember. But as I said at the beginning, when we corporately gather together to remember the Lord, it's the result, it's the overflowing heart and the overflowing thoughts of us Remembering the Lord and His goodness all week to us. We're just singing day by day. It's not week by week or month by month or semester by semester or year by year. It's day by day. Someone once said, and, and someone think, thought himself more holy, and he said, hour, I need thee every hour. And then somebody wanted to be more holy than... I need thee every hour. and said, moment by moment. We need him. And we need to remember him. Someone once said, you know, when we don't remember him, that's when we become practical atheists. We might not be atheists, but in our practice, we become atheists when we don't remember him. That's, beloved, when we sin. We forget him, the one who, who sees all things and hears all things. The one who's all powerful and, and our knees are shaking, but he's given us an unshakable kingdom that even though everything around us, even though our knees are banging together in fear and trepidation, he shall not be moved. And because he shall not be moved, we shall not be moved because our feet are planted on the rock. He took us out of that miry clay and set us on the rock, which is Jesus. And beloved, we need to remember that. 
we were talking once, we were teaching on being full of the Spirit and singing to one another and, or speaking to one another in hymns, spirit, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And, and we were talking about those, some of those simple children's songs. Those ones that were too sophisticated and advanced and modern to teach those simple songs anymore for some reason. I wonder how many sins we'd stop doing if we sang, be careful little hands what you touch. Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful ears what you hear. There's something about songs that doesn't leave our memory. Several years ago now that I learned I was an oldie. In Mexicali, the, the oldies station is the station that plays the San Diego Padres baseball games. And so I'd turn it in and, and they were playing Ghostbusters. I don't know if you remember that show Ghostbusters and that song, I Ain't Afraid of No Ghost. And I hadn't heard that song in probably since I was in high school. And you know, I could sing that whole song without missing a word. And I hadn't heard it for 20 years. There's something about songs that stick in our hearts and stick in our minds and help us to remember spiritual truths. That's why, beloved, it's so important to learn the songs. It's so, that's Israel's hymn book. Learn the hymns and have them living in you. I know we don't get our doctrine from hymns, but there's so much truth in there for us. And learn those children's songs. And they stay with you. And then when we're tempted to sin, and the test comes, and we remember that little song, you know, today's test becomes tomorrow's testimony because we remembered the Lord and we won the victory because we remembered Him. These people, unfortunately, didn't remember the Lord. And they went whoring after other gods. A God that made a different covenant with Him a God that promises much and gives nothing. Oh, you pay full price for the ticket, <laughs> but you never get where it promised to go. Just like Jonah, he paid full fare, didn't he? Did he get to Tarshish? He never got there. That's what the devil does. Promises much and gives nothing. Beloved, remember the Lord. Don't ever forget him. And the victory comes and that superficiality that was holding everything together isn't so superficial anymore because it's strong underneath. Here it was all superficial because they remembered not. But in our assembly, beloved, in our personal lives, in our families, in our marriage, when it's built upon remembering the Lord, and it affects our thinking. It affects our being. It affects our living. Now it isn't something superficial, but it's that ice that's not less than six inches thick. And it supports us in the times of temptation and trial. And we go through in flying colors. Beloved, that's the God we serve who wants to uphold us the one whose eyes move to and fro over the whole earth so he can strongly support those whose hearts are fully his. The one who wants to write his law of the new covenant on our hearts and in our minds. The one who we remember every Lord's Day and we take that cup of the new covenant in his blood and we say, I agree, Lord. Write your laws and remember my sins and iniquities no more. That's okay with me. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, we look at Gideon and and we think how he started so well. And we see that some way, somehow, the fame and the fortune all got to him. He became a snare. He didn't finish well. And our prayer this evening is some way, somehow, we would always remember that the greatest in your kingdom is the one who serves. That we would always remember that the greatest in this universe humbled himself. And he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. We pray that we will remember he who is rich became poor for us. We pray that we will remember our Lord Jesus and forget him not. And so we commend ourselves, our thoughts, our being, our living into your hands. That we would forget not Gethsemane. And the high price that was paid for our sins to bring us back to God. We pray that thoughts of the Lord Jesus, the one who's altogether lovely, would fill our minds and would fill our lives. The one who had compassion on us would move us to have compassion on others. And so we commend ourselves into your hands. Help us to finish well. Help us to finish strong by always remembering you. Help us to be faithful to the covenant because we remember you. And so we commend your word into our hearts, we commend it into your hands that we'd use it in our lives to make us a strong testimony for you. That our lives wouldn't be superficial, that we wouldn't be white-walled sepulchers. But that out of our very being would flow the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we commend your word into your hands that you would use it in our minds and lives that the Lord Jesus would be honored and glorified through it. Take us home with safety, we pray. And if you come tonight, we look forward to it with gladness. And if not, we look forward to living for you another day. We pray these things in the name and for the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I know I jumped a whole bunch of the story of Gideon. I was talking to Brother Brooks earlier this afternoon. He knows all the parts to fill in about the life of Gideon. And so if you want to hear the rest of his life, You'll have to arrange a Bible study with him, and he'll let you know all the parts that I left out. Lord bless you.